Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you're listening to the Clear Money Program's online radio show, and we'll be interviewing attorney Frank Danzo III of Chiat and Danzo LLC today about wills and trusts. He has taught multiple classes on this topic at the credit union, and he has years of experience in this field. I'm your host, Helen Gibson, Community Relations Coordinator at Denver Community Credit Union. Denver Community is a not-for-profit financial cooperative serving the people of the city and county of Denver. If you're interested in learning about our cooperative or learning more about our Clear Money program, please visit our website, denvercommunity.coop. That's denvercommunity.coop. As mentioned, our expert today is Attorney Frank Danzo of Chiat and Danzo, LLC. Hi, Frank. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And before we jump into the questions that everyone wants to know the answers to, uh, can you give us a short biography of your work in the field? Certainly. Um, I have been an attorney in the estate planning and elder law arena for this is actually starting my 16th year. So I'm starting to get uh, a few gray hairs here and there and a fair amount of experience. Uh, We focus primarily in the areas of elder law, which focuses on um, planning for seniors in the areas of incapacity, disability, and death, and also in the area of estate planning, which is um, trying to coordinate some of those issues and plan around some of the consequences of those issues to minimize the damage when something goes wrong. And I am a member of uh, many organizations, but the most prominent would probably be the Denver Estate Planning Council here in the metro area, uh, as well as the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, uh, and and pretty active in the Colorado Bar Association, different groups, trust and estate section, uh, and probate area as well. Excellent. So with all this experience, what do you feel is probably the largest misconception of estate planning? I think, um, you know, everybody worries about uh, probate and everybody worries about estate taxes and taxes and everybody worries about are my kids going to get my stuff when I pass Mm -hmm. away? And those are all important things and they're all good things to plan for, but I think what people fail to realize uh, a lot of the time is, is they won't be here for those things, but there's something that they will be here for that is very uh, underplanned, in my opinion, and that is incapacity or disability. And uh, there's a much higher percentage chance that that will actually happen to somebody than most people think, and yet the vast majority of the population is not planning. Probably close to 85% of the population is not planning for incapacity or disability, and yet there's almost a flip of the coin chance, about a 40 to 45% chance, that an adult in the United States today will become legally incapacitated at some point during their lifetime. So it's a huge gap as far as what's uh, out there and happening versus what's uh, being planned for. And if you don't plan for it, then you end up uh, facing the prospect of guardianship and conservatorship here in Colorado, which... I'm not sure how many people are familiar with, but it is a court process that takes place in the same probate court where we go to handle your estate when you pass away, but we have to take care of you and all of your assets when you become incapacitated. So it's it's basically twice the probate process, and it continues on for as long as you're alive. So it can be much more costly and um, 
time-consuming than just a regular probate. Okay, so, yeah, I guess being, uh, I would like to say younger, although I don't know if I'm holding on to that as long as I used to. Uh, I guess I feel the same way. I didn't feel like, you know, why should I have to do estate planning? I don't have anything, you know. <laughs> I don't have that much that I have to worry about. I'm married. It'll just go straight. Most of my stuff will easily pass, so I haven't really thought about estate planning. We don't have children yet, so I don't have to think about who would care for our children. Uh, but incapacity, what does that exactly mean? Well, generally what we're talking about when we talk about incapacity is we're talking about what happens if you have some kind of problem and you can no longer make decisions for yourself to take care of yourself and to take care of your assets and your property. And okay. it can it can happen to, obviously, older people face the prospect of having strokes or heart attacks or uh, Alzheimer's or dementia setting in. But uh, younger people can have problems, too. There are people that have accidents, hiking, climbing, mountain biking, car accidents. Um, there are actually people, uh, you may be familiar with Terry Schiavo, mm-hmm. the young lady down in Florida. She was only 26 when she had a heart attack and ended up brain dead from uh, all of the damage to that. And, and there was a huge fight over what to do with her. And so it can happen, you know, in your 20s, it's less likely in your 30s things start happening a little bit more, but by the time you turn about 40, there's a fair number of things that can happen to where you may end up incapacitated and unable to take care of your affairs and not having a plan in place for who's going to be in charge of doing that and what they're going to do to take care of all of that can be a real disaster, um, not just because it takes time and costs money, but because it can end up you're not well taken care of. So, Okay. And so what is the solution to that? I mean, can't I just say, listen, I'm married, my husband will take care of that, he'll make decisions for me, that's not automatic, what can I do then? Yeah, that's a huge misconception. Um, People think that because you're married, your spouse automatically has the right to do certain things, and that is simply not the case. Um, there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, we have a 53% divorce rate, and mm-hmm. you know the state of Colorado consider, considers us all to be our own autonomous person, and they feel like if you wanted to give someone the power to do things for you or to take things for you, that you would give them that power. And if you choose not to, there must be a reason to do that. So mm-hmm. there are lots of tools that we use, powers of attorney and trust and things, to deal with having the power and delegating those powers but generally the law says if you choose not to do it we're going to assume you chose not to do it for a reason not because of ignorance or not because you didn't understand what the consequences mm-hmm. were or laziness or laziness or any of those things there's a lot you know we're all busy we're all running mm-hmm. around doing things so there's lots of reasons people don't do stuff but mm-hmm. the law doesn't presume that anything's automatic in those areas because the danger is that if you have a problem somebody could take advantage and they'll assume if you trust somebody you'll give them those tools to do it if you don't spouses often have the priority to do things under the Mm -hmm. statutes but they must go before the judge to get approved and at that point it takes all that time and costs all that money and most people aren't prepared for that when it happens Mm -hmm. and plus at at that point it's not the time you want to go in front of a judge and have to schedule all that stuff if there's a way around that and you're not in a good place if uh, you're dealing with that problem. That's exactly right. And I think most people, it's already hard enough when something goes wrong. It's already hard enough when somebody has a problem and you're trying to deal with 
the crisis and the unexpectedness of whatever it is, whether it's a stroke or a heart attack or some other sickness or accident, it's already hard enough to deal with the situation as it is. Having a bunch mm-hmm. of legal legal hoops to jump through just creates that much more stress, that much more anxiety, and that much more difficulty with dealing with the situation. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of any kind of planning in this area is to try to minimize all of that and give people the tools they need to deal with a crisis when it occurs and to minimize the damage when it occurs. Yeah, I guess from my perspective, that is probably one of the most important things that I haven't done that I should do just because I, you know, I would never want to burden my spouse or family with making some of those tough decisions when they're in that point. It's kind of a, it's a horrific thought and I don't like to think about it. And I'm sure that's why most people haven't done what they probably should do. I think there's quite a few people who feel like they don't want to think about these things. What I usually tell them is it doesn't go away just because you don't think about it. (laughs) It doesn't? No. And so oftentimes it's actually better to go ahead and get the planning out of the way because then you don't have that little black cloud following you around, Mm -hmm. kind of hovering over you like, oh, I should do something about this, but I haven't Mm because I don't want to think about it. And getting it done means you don't have to worry about it anymore and you can let it go Mm -hmm. because you know if something happens, it'll be taken care of. Yeah, excellent. So I know a lot of people weren't expecting to talk about incapacity really when they uh, listened in. They were thinking that we'd talk a little bit more about wills and trust and all that stuff. What exactly, when someone says, I'm writing a will, what are they exactly doing? What legal power does that give to them? A will is is actually a pretty basic document. It basically just does a couple of things. Number one, it picks who you want to be your executor, which is going to be who's in charge of handling your estate when you pass away. The other thing that it does uh, that, that is well known by most people is that it specifies who you want to receive which assets. So mm-hmm. it spells out the distribution of what happens to all of your stuff when you pass away. And those are really the two main things that a will does. You can have other things in a will. You can nominate who you want to be a guardian for your children. If you have minor children mm-hmm. under the age of 18, you can uh, have your will create various trusts and things to do other things later on. But in general, a will only does those first two things. And that's what 95% of the people have when they think of having a will. And does that, I mean, does that keep you... I guess I should ask two questions. One is, what is probate? And two, does the will keep you out of it? Does it prevent that uh, extra standing in front of the judge that we talked about when we were talking about incapacity? Yeah, I think those So those are kind of intertwined. So probate is the process of administering your will and the, the process of handling your estate. It usually takes place in the county court, in the county where you live when you pass away, and it it takes place before the probate judge in that county. Generally, the process involves, if you have a will, we submit your will to the judge. The judge will look it over, make sure it's valid. If it is, they will issue a court order that appoints the executor and allows them to go out and then gather up all of the assets, pay off any debts to any creditors, and then distribute the assets according to the will. If you don't have a will, we do pretty much the same thing but we follow a state statute that has the priorities for the various people to come forward and either handle the various jobs 
or go and receive the assets when everything's ready for distribution. So generally, the importance of having a will is you specify who you want as opposed to letting the state do it with that statute. Um, a will itself will not avoid probate because, as I just described, the process of probate is actually the process of probating your will or administering your will. Is there any way beyond doing uh, – like, I guess I've heard that there's some asset size – that don't go into probate, like if you make under this much, you or I'm sorry, if you have under this much in assets, you won't have to go through probate. Is that a myth, or is there some reality to that? No, there is there is some reality to that. In general, if you don't own anything, we don't have to go through probate. So probate is not a trap or a trick or anything. It's mm-hmm. not a tax. It's just the process of getting things out of your name when you pass away. And okay. if you don't have anything in your name, we don't have to go through the process of getting them out of your name. If you have less than $50,000 of assets and you have no real estate, no real property, mm-hmm. then you do not have to go through the formal probate process before the judge. There's an abbreviated, what we call a small estate administration. Okay. We can handle most of that with just a little bit of paperwork. So there is a way to do that. However, I would say, especially with everything going on today, uh, who knows, in a few years, $50,000 might be, uh, I don't know, a carton of milk or something. So who knows <laughs> where we're going to be, but uh, $50,000 isn't what it used to be, certainly, and it's not that hard to get over that number when you add up all your stuff. Okay, and then related to that, do your retirement accounts, accounts that you have count towards that $50,000 in assets? No, and that's a good question. What we're talking about is assets in your name that do not have any other way to get those out of your name. So, Okay, example, so if they have a beneficiary already on them? Correct. If they already have a beneficiary on them, if they already have a uh, joint owner on them, a joint tenancy with rent mm-hmm. survivorship or something like that, um, if they have a POD, payable on death beneficiary, or a TOD, transfer on death beneficiary. Mm-hmm. Any of those things will transfer by contract law automatically to the person named as the beneficiary. So the only time that that would fail is if the beneficiary is no longer there for some reason, which actually does happen a fair amount because mm-hmm. people don't always get around to changing People forget them. to change it. I forget to change mine sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you forget to change the beneficiaries, then the default is it goes back to your estate. But there are ways um, to plan around that by utilizing the various contractual beneficiaries that mm-hmm. will pay automatically instead of requiring us to go to court. So have you ever had someone, like let's say I'm 50 and I'm starting to get up there in age and I have my house and I own it outright, I decide to like give it or give joint ownership to my children to try to get around that? Do people try to do that to escape probate? People do lots of things to try to avoid probate, and I always caution people, you should really make sure you know what you're doing and and come Mm -hmm. up with a coordinated plan when you're talking about this. Probate is one of the things to worry about. In Colorado, we have simplified probate, which means it's generally simpler, easier, and cheaper than just about anywhere else. And if you actually look at the cost, you're probably on average, for the vast majority of people, somewhere in the six to twelve thousand dollar range so there is a substantial cost but it's not the end of the world and it's not something that should be the first thing that you're looking at as far as i must avoid this at all costs and so Mm -hmm. a lot of times people make mistakes 
when they say, I want to avoid probate, and they run around and do various things. They add people's names onto deeds. They mm-hmm. give them to, to their kids. They add the kids onto the joint bank account. What you have to keep in mind is not only do you have to be able to trust your kids uh, when you add their names on because they become joint owners and they can Mm -hmm. then take the property and do what they want, Mm -hmm. but you also have to be able to trust everybody that they might interact with. And Mm -hmm. that's really, I'm not sure how you do that. We're talking about spouses. We're talking about grandkids. We're talking about friends and neighbors and business acquaintances, Mm -hmm. partners that they may have. And we're talking about driving down the street if you're in a car accident any of those things could create a real problem because when you add someone else as an owner, they are an owner and they can therefore lose the asset just like you could. And the more people on there, the more chances for something to go wrong. Now, considering that divorce rate, if suddenly that di- that house isn't part of the divorce, I would see that as probably a risk. Huge risk, huge risk, yeah. So you said that a lot of people consider probate probate to be one of the number one things to avoid, but maybe it's not. Uh, What are some things that people don't think about? We talked about capacity, but are there other things that we're not thinking about that maybe we should be? You know, one of the biggest trends that I see developing over the last 15 years is a lot of parents look around and they feel like they want to try to protect their kids a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. They've, you know, on the one hand, they don't want to see their kids get wiped out every time they make a mistake. And on the other hand, they don't want to see their kids take the inheritance that they've spent their entire lives accumulating Mm -hmm. over a span of 60, 70, 80 years and have that wiped out in the stroke of, you know, a pen, one accident or one problem or one divorce. And so... One of the bigger trends that I see that people are starting to wake up to, but it's still a relatively you know, 10 20% of the population, is how do I protect my kids so that every time they make a mistake, they don't get wiped out? And I think that's a big trend that's, that's leaning uh, into the planning arena as far as utilizing some type of trust, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, but in general, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a tool that people are becoming more uh, favorable toward because they want to get some of those protections that you can't get from just a will. Okay, so what exactly is a trust? So a trust is a little bit different than a will. A trust is a private contract as opposed to a will, which is a public document. Okay. And a trust, in that contract, there are always three parties when you create a trust. There is the settlor or creator of the trust. There is the trustee or manager of the trust, and then there is the beneficiary of the trust who's entitled to get whatever the trust says to give them. Okay. So when you have these three parties, they basically get together and manage the trust just like you would a small company or a small business or something like that. And it's all done by this private contract that you write up the terms of at the beginning when you create the trust. So when you can utilize this type of tool, the interesting thing about it and the most popular type of trust is what we call a revocable living trust. And that type of trust, that's about 90% of all of the trusts out there today are revocable living trusts. And so that's the most common one. That's the one you'll hear about the most when you think of trust. And the nice benefit to that is you can actually start out where one person can wear all three of the hats, the settlor trustee and beneficiary can all be the same person. What that allows you to do is have an awful lot of flexibility 
because you can start out with full control in yourself and be your own trustee and your own beneficiary of your own <laughs> trust that you create, which gives you a tremendous amount of control over everything, and you're not giving anything up by doing it. And then we've got a whole backup plan in place that says who's in charge and what do we do to take care of you and take care of your assets if something goes wrong. And so it provides a real high degree of flexibility in the planning arena because we've got all kinds of backups and all kinds of coverage on things that you really can't find in just about any other vehicle. Okay. And so basically your I don't know how to describe this, and you can correct me if I use some bad legal language, but you're creating almost a third thing apart from yourself so that it uh, if something should happen to you, it can distribute things the way you want it to. Does that make sense? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's kind of like setting up your own little company, okay? okay. And you run your own little company but then you have your hand-picked successors that are ready to take over running the company okay. when you're unable to. And so just like with the uh, you know CEO of IBM, if he gets sick or passes away, they don't send everybody home and say, okay, <laughs> we're done over here at IBM. Mm-hmm. They say, here's our successor. He picks up the baton and carries on the torch it's and ongoing. goes on down the road. Yeah, exactly. So you might be able to set it up so that, let's say you have three children and you have enough money that they would receive 30000 a year. If one of them would go through a divorce, it's not their money except for that 30000 they received that year. So that divorcing spouse can't get to the trust. That's exactly right. Okay. So the spouse could get to whatever they receive, which if it's 30000 per year, then they could receive the 30000 and go from there but they would not be able to receive any of the money that's actually in the trust because the beneficiary doesn't own it yet. They mm-hmm. might get it at some point in the future, depending upon the terms, Right. they don't own it yet. And the same would be true if you have a, a child who has like a gambling problem. We were talking about Las Vegas earlier. Or an alcohol problem. They couldn't. They wouldn't suddenly have hundreds of thousands of dollars fall in their lap and then maybe spend it all in two months. Exactly. exactly. So what it allows you to do is dole it out to them over whatever terms that you decide are appropriate, and it can be used to basically protect them from whatever they need protecting from. Could be their spouse, could be their job, could be their alcohol or drug problems, could be Mm -hmm. their poor money management problems Mm -hmm. uh, or poor credit history could be uh, you know any number of things, and then you mm-hmm. get to spell out the terms that say this is when I would want them to receive it. Could be whatever's mm-hmm. in their best interest. Could be for down payment on a house. Uh, could be for starting a business or getting married or any of those things. But they're going to receive a small amount of money for each of those mm-hmm. things, and it's in a controlled environment. It's very similar to if you were alive. You'd mm-hmm. say, hey, if my kids came to me and they said I want some money for something, I'm going to look at how much they're asking for. I'm going to mm-hmm. look at how much money I have, and I'm going to look at what they do with it every time I give it to them right. and, and how well they steward it. And so the trust allows you to have that continue on even after you're unable to do it so that somebody else can make those same judgments and and allow the money to be used in the best way possible for those beneficiaries. Excellent. I think it sounds like a pretty powerful tool. And we have about... Oh, about five minutes left, and I just wanted to touch on something that we kind of talked about before when we were talking about incapacity, which is something that's always struck me, is the HIPAA laws that surround us. I think I, 
I assume that, you know, if I was in an awful car accident, there wouldn't be any problem with the doctor communicating with my family. But is that, with the new HIPAA laws, is there some barriers that maybe we don't assume that are there? Yeah, I think HIPAA is something that it was a well-intentioned law that came out back in August of 2003, and it was designed to protect us from the large insurance companies and databases and things gathering all of our private medical information and trying to eventually use that against us to disqualify us for certain policies and programs mm-hmm. and things because of learning all that information. And so it was designed to protect us. Unfortunately, what it's actually done is it's created a real barrier because the only person under the law that's entitled to get your medical information is you. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your friends, and not your family. So it creates a real problem because when people go to get the information, they assume that they can get it. If somebody has a problem, they're not going to be talking about the information because they have a problem. And so mm-hmm. when, the, when the family tries to get it, they run into this barrier and they don't know what to do. So there's really only two ways to get around HIPAA. Uh, number one, according to the statute, you can fill out an authorized HIPAA representative form. Mm -hmm. And you've probably filled one of those out if you've gone to the doctor in the past six or seven years. Mm -hmm. It's one of the first things on the clipboard. So Mm -hmm. most likely you've done that. However, you have to fill one out for every possible doctor, hospital, nursing home, and insurance company that you might interact with. And I think most people, if you think about that, that's not even possible because if you have a problem and you're unconscious, We don't know where you're going. We don't know what doctors are on call. We don't know what specialists you're going to see, and we don't know what various rehab centers or whatever you're going to. We don't know any of these things ahead of time, and you can't possibly fill out those forms for every one of those places and every one of those people in -hmm. advance. There's no way to do it. And so the only real way to address that is in your power of attorney for medical and health care decisions and make sure that you have your agent as an authorized HIPAA representative automatically. So I think it's critically important that everybody should have a medical power of attorney. Everybody's heard of Terry Schiavo. She was only 26. You're never too young to have one. Everybody should have a good medical power of attorney, and in it, Mm -hmm. it should make your agent an authorized HIPAA representative automatically. Excellent. Well, we are running low on time, and I always want to give the people who are speaking a chance to share their information in case people want more information or considering setting up an appointment. Uh, So could you please do that for people? Sure. There's a couple ways to reach us. Um, The first one I would say, uh, you can reach us at Cheyette and Danzo. Our main phone number is 303-355-8500. Um, you can also find out a lot of information about us. We have a pretty good website. It's www.coloradoelderlaw.com, www.coloradoelderlaw.com. And on that, you can find out all kinds of information, not only about us and contacting us, but also we've got an estate planning learning center and lots of frequently asked questions on all of the different uh, complicated topics of the law, including everything we've talked about today and Medicaid, which is always a popular topic. Mm-hmm. So all of those things. And then you can always email me as well at frank at com. So I think those would be the easiest ways to contact me or our firm, and we would be happy to assist 
with any issues that you might have arise. Excellent. And I'm just going to do a shameless plug for uh, the next time you're at our credit union to do an hour class is June 14th, um, 2011, from 12 to 1, so a lunchtime uh, wills and trust class. And then you're also on our schedule for November 8th in the evening, so if our members want to stop by, those are there, and they can sign up on our website. But I want to thank you for your time and the amount of information you shared. I know that as someone that's attended the class, some of this stuff is pretty critical. Like you said, you don't have to wait till you're 50 and probably shouldn't wait till you're 50 on some of these items if you really want the protection. And I guess that's what I hear you saying. I think that's right. I'm, I mean, as with any planning, as with any planning, you're always going to be better off uh, as in any other area of life if you plan ahead of time. Uh, mm-hmm. I think most people understand that. Of course, you know, knowing that and then actually doing something about it are two separate things. Mm-hmm. But I think that's our goal with any kind of estate planning is how do we try to minimize some of the hassle, minimize some of the damage, and mm-hmm. guide things the way we want them to be when something goes wrong in that area. And it's just like any other area of your life. If you can do that, you're probably going to be better off. So I always encourage people to take a little bit of time and spend a little bit of money up front, mm-hmm. and you'll be better off in the long run. That sounds great. Well, thank you again for taking the time and sharing the expertise. As anyone who's ever hired a lawyer knows, that time is quite valuable. <laughs> so we appreciate it. Um, we I'm appreciate happy to help. Um, thank you very much. And for those of you listening, Go ahead and check us out at denvercommunity.coop and click on the Clear Money Program logo there to learn more about what we offer at the credit union as far as financial education, which includes classes on wills and trusts. Thank you, Frank. All right. You guys have a good weekend. You too. Bye. Thank you again for listening to this show that is part of our Clear Money Program.